0: Hi, my name is George Reister, your Mindset Mastery Coach. We have an exciting year plan. I'm committed to bring you a wide variety of content, all focused to help each of us become better and reach our full potential. I've got a lineup that you can't wait to hear from and it's going to be exciting. I want to make sure that we cover a wide variety of topics this year because some people need some personal development in their own lives, in in their personal relationships, as well as their workplace relationships. Also want to make sure that we detail and focus on how we relate to society and what's going on with all of the drama and all of the issues that are happening here today. I want you to please make sure that you leave a five-star rating for the podcast on the YouTube channel, as well. Subscribe to all my social media avenues so that you can stay informed of what we have in store and what's going on day to day. I also want you to remember this year's focus on giving. I am committed to give you the best that I have. And whatever that is going to, we're going to explore with that. Explore all the possibilities and all the dreams and and ambitions that that we've said before, hey, that we want to accomplish. Please, in my giving, I want you to look at St. Jude or in our giving, I want us to look at St. Jude Research Hospital. That is one of my focal points for philanthropy this year. St. Jude, you know, it focuses on children that have cancer. And every family that goes there doesn't pay any money out of their pocket. It's a research center designed to help those in need and to also take the worry and stress out of the lives of the families that are involved there. So please stay tuned because our first guest, Zoe Rath, you don't want to miss her. She's an exciting coach in leadership and she has a wealth of information. So we'll be right back. We'll take a break. We'll come right back, watch the ads and we'll come back with Zoe. Look forward to talking to you in just a second. All right, this is what everybody's been waiting for, a leadership expert. Hi, I'm George Reister, your Mindset Mastery Coach. Today I have a special guest from across the waters. You're gonna love her, she's so energetic. Uh, if you ever go, go to her website, and that's gonna tell you everything you need to know about her. It brought a smile to my face when I first saw her. I'm like, ooh, she seems like she's so much fun, and. People would enjoy listening to all of the helpful advice and, and, and information that she has to share. Her name is Zoe Rath, and I'm gonna start off by letting Zoe tell you some, some things about herself, and we're gonna continue this conversation. And Zoe, feel free to be open, honest, and whatever you feel like sharing today, the audience wants to hear it.
1: Thank you for that wonderful, warm welcome. I appreciate it. Nice to be here, George uh where things about me you want me to tell you well you plugged me for being from australia but you notice my accent isn't very australian that's because i'm canadian originally oh. so there might be a little bit of an aussie twang uh according to my dad who's british by the way i sound very aussie but according to australians no <laughs> um I don't know where to to start. I mean, I'm not going to start with I was born in and then walk you through 50 years. Probably the highlights of what you need to know is that I'm a leadership expert. I specialize in the people stuff and the CEOs and their teams that I work with struggle with some things like silos, like uh, backbiting, like uh, leaders not stepping up to the plate to lead effectively. Uh, there might be rivalries there might be competitions you know that kind of people dynamics that keeps leaders up at night well that's the stuff I love to unpack with them and so I love to share frameworks and insights to help leaders navigate that because leadership it's like a wilderness and yes. you can actually learn to read the map and navigate it and that's what yes. I do I help people learn, leaders learn to read the map and get through that stuff
0: wow that's, that's exciting and and when I read looked over your website It was something that caught my eye, and I'm going to tell you what it is. It said that you like to work with leaders who think big, who have big hearts, and who want to make big differences. That is amazing, and that's exactly what the workforce needs and the people that they are managing and the team that they're leading. Tell me what, what your process is for accomplishing that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I know, just a small ambition, really, create, help big thinkers with big hearts make a big difference. Mm-hmm. My process for accomplishing that is, well, I guess I have different platforms uh, to mm-hmm. get that message out. Um, I guess if you boil it down to the core essence of what I want to do with leaders to achieve that aim is to expand their perspective, because perspective is power. Mm -hmm. And when we learn to see wider, further, and deeper on all the issues that face us as leaders, it gives us a much better insight and more strategic way of of taking the right actions to create the change that we want. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the work I do is around exploring perspective. And I use maps for that. I use frameworks and maps to help people get an insight into what it is that they're looking at. That's probably the starting point of, in terms of the message and method. The platforms I have: I'm an author. I've written uh, four books so far. Um, I'm a speaker. I do leadership training and I do executive coaching, um, and those are kind of the primary methodologies of how I interact with folks. Uh, but there's what? oh, it's you never know. Like you don't need to have an official platform to do that. As somebody mm-hmm. who works with leaders. Um, you just need to have conversations with folks and that right. can be a huge ripple effect.
0: And, and, and I can relate to that so much because I worked for, in my earlier years, I worked for Federal Express for about 14 years. But when I started oh, well. with Federal yes, I started with Federal Express in Memphis because I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. And I started a little bit right after high school. So it was in 1979. And Fred Smith, the owner of FedEx, Would come out every night to the hub because I started out in the hub, and there was a mezzanine, and he would stand on the mezzanine, him and another executive by the name of Jim Barksdale, and he would give the vision for the night, every night. And not only would he give the vision, he'd also talk about what had happened the night before, how many packages were delivered, how many were, you know, what the ratings were. He just gave us a whole detailed outlook and helped us, he made us feel a part of the company. Even though we weren't on the executive level, we felt like executives, and we felt like we had the tools to go forth and execute the plan that he had for us to do that night. And it was an an amazing, so with what you're doing, I totally resonate, it resonated with me and I got it. And I said, oh man. And then speaking about your book, the book, uh, People Stuff, beyond personalities and problems. Who says that people stuff? Cause that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Let's talk about people stuff, Zoe. Tell me what are some of the things that you see common in people stuff?
1: Well, that came about because when you talk to leaders and you, know, you ask them, what's the hardest part about your job? Invariably, they will actually say, uh, it's the people stuff. You know, invariably, that's like the toughest thing. They can all do strategy. They love strategy. That's exercising your brain. Mm-hmm. Working with people, that's head and heart and hara, like visceral yeah. embodied leadership. It is all encompassing. Um, so when we talk about people stuff. It's it's how people interact with each other. And sometimes that goes extraordinarily well. And it's energized and exciting, like you were describing in FedEx, where you feel, all. Oh, G, um, G'd up and excited to come together and work as a team and to produce a great result, and mm-hmm. you have fun doing it. Like that's fun people stuff. And then you have the hard people stuff where people turn on each other, where they backbite, where they undermine, where they get angry, where they get frustrated, where they hide in a corner, uh, and all these behaviors are really difficult to unpack and understand as a leader. When ultimately you just want people to come to work, be happy, and do their job.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes.
1: But people are messy. They're so messy.
0: They're so messy. And let's say you run across a scenario in the workplace and you have a situation with uh, backbiting, with employees just constantly engaging in struggle with one another. What will be some of the strategies that you might use to help uh, combat that?
1: Well, there's the first aid response uh, where okay. you deal with the immediate Um, impact of that behavior. And then there's the long-term strategic response. You've got to change the conditions that create that problem. But Mm -hmm. first, the band-aid or the first aid response. Like if you come across behavior that affects others as a leader, you need to uh, call people out on that and give them some effective feedback about the impact of that behavior. That's the first thing. Second thing is you got to ask questions and ask what's really driving that. Because mm. any of that negative behavior, it is not driven usually by someone who's just wants to be a jerk for, uh, for its own sake. Like very rarely do people show up at work and say, I'm going to be a total jerk today. Uh, mm. That's not what happens. People have these behaviors because they feel threatened some way. Mm-hmm. And the, the core threat that people have is a fear of loss of some kind. Mm. And I unpack four types of loss in the book people stuff one is um, loss of power that can really rile people up Uh, so if you lose the chance to make decisions for yourself your autonomy that can put us into unhelpful behaviors Uh, loss of position um, in a group can be problematic for people so if you have a change in role and responsibilities and it feels like a status diminishment or you demote it that can put people off Mm. or the third loss is fear of loss of um, place. And that's like belonging. You feel like you're not part of the group anymore. And that can feel really alienating, difficult. And another loss is feeling like loss of performance. Any one of those triggers can cause backbiting. So mm-hmm. you need to figure out which is the loss that's triggering this backbiting behavior? Like, what's really going on for them? They're not really grumbling about Jack down the road who right. is, you know, keeps taking his pen. That's not the real issue. It's more that Jack got promoted ahead of George. I won't use George. George. <laughs> Jack got promoted ahead of Jane. And Jane's backbiting because she's really peeved that she missed out on this promotion. And, you know, just because Jack pick, uh, takes her pen or Whatever Jack does is opportunity to undermine because she's hurting, she's lost out on something. So as a leader, you need to stop that behavior in the first place because it's damaging Mm -hmm. and then figure out what's going on for them. What's the trigger that's caused that? So that's sort of like the first two steps. And then third step is like, how are your systems? How have you set up your team? Do they feel confident enough and, and safe enough to raise issues with each other and with the leader? And if that's not in place, then you've got some structural issues to do uh, with your structural issues and work to, um, to do with your team to set the safety up for the team, communication strategies. So you can peel down the layers to get to the real solution, uh, but just slapping someone around the head saying, hey, don't do backbiting, that's not gonna right. solve the
0: problem. <laughs> yes, yes. And that was gonna be one of the questions I asked also in how much responsibility did leadership have to rectifying or making sure that they shape how the employees feel about one another and themselves in and the work environment. And do you think that that uh, may be one of the strategic uh, focal points sometimes? Because you know sometimes leaders don't think that they're doing anything wrong or they don't have to make an adjustment, they think it's the employee. How much responsibility do you think the employer or the leader has to do with that?
1: I want to say 100% that's not entirely true. I think mm-hmm. the leader needs to be accountable for the morale in the workplace for sure. Morale on mm-hmm. their media team and morale across the broader organization. Are they completely responsible for it? No, not as completely responsible. So the leader's responsibilities in setting the tone and the mood and the safety is paramount because they, have, they are backed with authority. And when we are backed with authority in our positions, whatever we do and say, however we show up is magnified and amplified throughout an organization. It's a hugely powerful position to be in. And so we have the power to shape it for good or for evil.
0: <laughs> yes, yes.
1: And the responsible leader will will really pay attention to how they set up the team frameworks to mm. ensure that people do feel happy, that do feel comfortable, they do feel safe to mm. contribute, to share, um, and to experience the workplace. Now, there is also personal responsibility that each individual must take too. So whatever they show up in the workplace, whether they have a uh, authority title with them or not, is incredibly important. We are all um, powerful energy emitters, and Mm -hmm. we each need to take responsibility for how we show up every day. Are we putting out positive vibes or negative vibes? It does have an impact. If we have authority on top of that, the impact is magnified considerably. Um, So that's a little bit of yes and answer to that question. How much does the leader need to take responsibility for Mm -hmm. the mood of the workplace? Uh, 100% accountable, mostly responsible, and everybody (laughs) is also responsible for themselves.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, because I've run across situations myself, uh, managing teams and, and, and in executive management where someone wants to, feels like an employee is not fulfilling their obligation or responsibility in the workplace. And so one of the things that they want to do is immediately uh, document and then lead to termination. So one of the questions that I always ask a leader is, especially if they're the hiring manager, hiring supervisor, why did you hire that person? What made you have that person? Because I believe that Once you hire someone, you are now directly responsible for them, their personal development, because you knew what tools they came with, whether or not they were overqualified in some cases, people like to use that term or underqualified or they were at a medium and they were gonna need some leadership along the way. So I always ask the question, okay, why did you hire? And then try to trickle back, trickle down and then come back up and say, okay, now, is this something that you can work with? You knew this from the beginning. And if it's not, then we know we take the measures from them But at least give that person a chance to um, fulfill the responsibilities and obligations that you once thought that they could receive, that they could uh, do. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. So if you've got a performance problem, the first thing to do as a leader is put the mirror up and say, what mm-hmm. have I done? <laughs> right. Well, how have I contributed to this mess? Either mm-hmm. through hiring or um, training or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. um always ask that piece of responsibility first you know what is it where have i failed them Mm -hmm. and maybe you haven't and right maybe you've done all the right things in terms of support and training and engagement Mm -hmm. and uh, matching them to their job and giving them feedback and encouraging maybe you've done all that and it just turns out they're on a different life track or the job isn't what they expected or um their skills really aren't up to the up to 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 par. But those mm-hmm. those cases are more rare. I mm-hmm. think it's more true um, to take your stance, which is like, okay, have I double checked yourself first? You know, what have we done for mm-hmm. this person? Have we given them a chance? Um, mm-hmm. And there's lots of really great stories where somebody who looks like a difficult person, right, <laughs> with a difficult personality with the right support in the right job with plenty of empathy and compassion
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: can be set up for success in the workplace. Um, And our job as leaders is not to write them off immediately. Uh, It's to make sure that we give them the best chance of success through either our interactions with them or the environment that we design with them.
0: I, I, I love those two words you just used, empathy and compassion. And I'm not sure how much of that we have in the workplace right now. As well, right? You know, going through COVID and going through the pandemic right now, it may be a little bit more going on. But in your experience, is that a focal point that you think that you had to drill down on when you go in to consult with uh, teams and leaders?
1: How much are they? How much are they lacking in compassion, or how much compassion do they have? Uh, I think if they're if they're hiring me to work on their people stuff, they have some empathy and compassion. Hmm unless they're being dictated by their supervisors, their chair, et cetera, to to do something. Mm -hmm. So they might have some blind spots. Um, It's rare that I've come across a leader who lacks compassion, doesn't have enough. They may lack understanding. um, Mm -hmm. So they may not fully get the dynamics at play. And -hmm. they're just missing a set of uh, people reading skills generally, or dynamics reading skills. so working on compassion is not something I generally come across because mm. if they lack compassion, they're not going to be doing people stuff work. So <laughs> here's an example, right? So okay. um, I met with, I have to make sure I don't uh, divulge any personal details. I worked with okay. this, I got asked to come in and do a presentation to a leadership team in an organization. Okay. And the presentation was initially for development for the, the CEO. Okay. Um, And right before the presentation, he's like, oh, can we just bring the whole team? Like we want to do development for the whole team, which is not the greatest way to go into a presentation two minutes before to change the brief on (laughs) you. Right. In any case, I did my presentation. It was a great presentation. And the next part of it was to have conversation with the leadership team about whether or not they wanted to go ahead, A, for the development for the CEO, and B, for development for the team. Mm -hmm. Because you really need both. But we want to start with the original conversation, start with the CEO. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening in that meeting? All the dynamics came out. There was, people started calling each other out. One guy had to leave early. His colleagues said, well, you always do this. You uh-huh. know, We knew this was in our diary and here you are yeah. leaving yet again. How much importance are you actually putting on this? Mm-hmm. And so, and they, they raised their voices and they were cutting each other up. And at the end they said, nothing's gonna change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so this was, was it lacking compassion? maybe uh, Mm -hmm. you know if they're that fed up with each other they've probably burnt their compassion out a little bit Mm -hmm. so the the work is not to develop more compassion at that point it's more Mm -hmm. to unpack what are the dynamics that are creating the symptom of lack of compassion Um, so yeah i don't necessarily go to work working on compassion Mm -hmm. i hold it as an important aspect of how people lead And one of the things I say about the programs I run is that we're about developing wise and compassionate leaders, those who can make sensible decisions as well as sensitive ones. So there is a capacity uh, around the compassion piece, but it's not necessarily where I'd start with, because if you say to someone, we need to develop your compassion, (laughs) it might get a little defensive.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. I'm going to ask you another question. How do we break out of silos?
1: Yeah, I love it. We see this a lot, right? So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in high achievers who Mm -hmm. want to make their mark on executive teams, say, for example, they are very enthusiastic about their own work uh, responsibilities, their own work area, their own team, because Mm -hmm. they have a sense of control and autonomy with that generally. And so Mm -hmm. they focus a lot of their energy on building up their own individual platform for the ceo that's often problematic because what the ceo often needs and wants is for all of the executive to come together and discuss as a collective the bigger picture of the organization okay and often that doesn't happen and so there is a uh, capacity deficit amongst many of those executives who who potentially have not learned how to think strategically That's the first thing. So they Mm -hmm. may be lacking a skill in strategic thinking. Um, The second thing that might be creating the silos is how reward and remuneration is implemented in the organization. Ah. So in my book, people Stuff, I unpack what looks like personality problems. It turns out to be a remuneration problem. In that, it looks like these highly competitive rivals on the executive team are always headbutting, and we think yeah. it looks it looks like personality problems from the outset or silos manifesting in tension. Mm-hmm. And really, it's how they're rewarded, and how they're rewarded is that they get bonuses based on the performance of their work unit. So, mm-hmm. a natural human tendency is I'm going to maximize my effort to get the biggest return over things I have control over, which is Work, looking after my unit. I don't care yes. about Susan's unit. <laughs> I care <laughs> right. about my unit. Yes. And um, co- it doesn't really necessarily promote collaboration when you have that remuneration structure or reward structure like that.
0: Uh-huh. So
1: sometimes this has two things, right, that are possibly at play with silos. One is they lack the strategic thinking skills or awareness about what yes. they could be doing on the executive. Mm. And two, it's probably systems that are driving that dynamic. Um, <clears throat> I would bet you know, out of all the executive I work with, I think those two reasons are the, is, are the reasons that we have silos. Um, ah. Yeah, those are the main okay. ones I see come up.
0: Okay, okay, that's interesting. Now, you know, I'm always in a position of wherever I am, because I work with youth a lot, as well as I work with adults. And I wanna know this question, the answer to this question. How do you turn critics into champions?
1: <laughs> Turning critics into champions. It's about listening. Mm-hmm. So it's about understanding where that person is coming from. So if you're talking about critics, I'm not thinking about like people who critique your work. So like mm-hmm. book reviews and stuff because you don't necessarily have a chance to converse with the people who leave you mm-hmm. terrible reviews. If mm-hmm. you're talking about critics, like somebody who's on your team who doesn't like your style your, or mm-hmm. your um, how you approach things, yes. it really is about understanding. So it's mm-hmm. about going in with curiosity. Mm-hmm. So there's a major obstacle for turning um, critics into uh, champions. The okay. first one is look, putting up the mirror again. And often it's because we have uh, one of the shadows of the elder come in. So the elder is an archetype I always encourage leaders to embody. And Mm. if they're not careful, one of the traps of um, power and authority is hubris, Mm. so arrogance. And as we rise higher and higher in the ranks, we we can get hoodwinked by this energizing experience of power and authority. And all of a sudden we find ourselves being blinkered and blind Mm -hmm. and losing compassion and empathy because we've got all this hubris and arrogance happening. So the cure for that is humility. Yes. Realizing that every day is a new beginning. Every day we're showing up with beginner's mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The second one is curiosity mm. and being asking questions. So why is this person my critic? What, yes. is, what is it about what I'm doing, saying, or being that is pushing their buttons? What's going on for them? How have I contributed in, in some way? And mm. the third antidote to it is care. Actually caring about the other human being. You cannot turn a critic into a champion unless you care about them. Yes. So with all that in mind, so if you show up with somebody who's your critic Mm -hmm. on your team, who's feels like an enemy and and you go, right, dial it down. Don't be defensive. That's Mm -hmm. like dial down your hubris, dial up your humility. You've done something you're not aware of potentially. Mm -hmm. Be curious about that and care about the other human and your relationship with them and have a curious conversation, an empathetic conversation, really trying to understand where they're coming from. When you do that, when you ask someone about how you think, how you feel, tell me more, people will feel your genuineness and Mm -hmm. your authenticity and they will warm to that. If you then ask them for help, help me to see this better, Mm -hmm. show me what I could be doing differently you have then positioned them in a place of authority and they will mm-hmm. feel warmly towards you as well. So those, that's a quick view of how to turn critics into champions, care, yeah. curiosity, and humility.
0: And, and th- you know what that reminds me of um, in the individuals that I interact with, especially on the youth, youth level, there's a big concern with language. How we speak, how they speak to each other, and and what words they use, and how uh, either uplifting or deteriorating words they can use to one another that will actually destroy someone's confidence or keep someone from seeing or reaching their full potential. Um, I think that that's a a big dynamic in the workplace as well. Um, Nowadays, there's such a difference in age and demographics in some work environments. Do you think that that causes, or that creates a, a gap in the communication and how employees or staff deal with one another?
1: Oh yeah, words are weapons. Yes. And I think we need to be mindful of how we wield them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I hear this, you know, I'm always mindful to tell my husband say, for example, when he makes a mistake, like we share a home office now with COVID, (laughs) so I'm I'm across some of his work a lot. And if he makes a mistake and he insults himself, it's like, oh, you you idiot. He's talking to himself. I'm like, don't talk to yourself that way, you know? Um, So we can wound ourselves with the language that we speak. We need to think about that. So I think that self-talk is really important. Yes. And then the, how we uh, teasingly um, call people names
0: Oh, yes. that's
1: that that can be meant good and naturedly it can mm. be quite damaging mm. I think we need to be mindful of that the other piece that you talk about in terms of generational differences and generational attitudes towards how they communicate let alone the words is something mm. that needs to be discussed and explored absolutely like mm-hmm. um I know that teenagers bury themselves in their devices and will prefer to text as, a, as opposed to pick up the phone. And this bebuttles yes. the 50 year olds are like, just pick up right. the phone and have a conversation. <laughs> Thank so you. I was at my friend's house um, over the Christmas holiday and they have two teenage daughters and their eldest, she's 14, just got a, bought herself a new phone. She got herself mm-hmm. a job, bought herself a new mm-hmm. phone. And the dad, my friend, um, saying right if you're going to use this phone you have to make an actual phone call with it she'd had it a week <laughs> she had not used her phone to make a phone call I'm like what that's right and he's like wow. do you even know how she's like um I guess I can figure it out he's like all right your mission unless you want to do the dishes tonight is to make an actual phone call and have a conversation with someone
0: mm-hmm. wow So she, she
1: had to demonstrate picking up the phone dialing calling and chatting to her friend. And uh, it was weird because the friend was like, why are you calling me? <laughs> why didn't you just
0: text me? Exactly. Oh, man. young people. I mean, we just had this conversation with one of my grandsons last night. It's amazing that you brought this up. And in and, and his language with his friends, they're gaming, they're playing on the, on the game. And so now they're, you know, insulting each other about the move that they made because they're on the team together. And I'm like, "Ah," finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I came downstairs, I said, listen, if you're gonna continue to play on this game, you have got to use more positive language or some constructive language to get your point across, not the words you're using. I can't take it, I just had enough of it. And he said, Papi, we always talk to each other. I said, that's the problem. That's the problem. We want to stop you from talking like that to one another because this trickles into other situations. And, and kids don't really understand that sometimes um, people are facing issues and that you can trigger different things to happen to them or, or, or ignite in them that you don't even know just by your words. And I'm constantly trying to deal with him with his language and his words. He doesn't use any swearing words or anything like that, but I just want them to speak more positive and more constructive. Is that a problem in Australia?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um, Sarcasm is a big part of Aussie humor humor here, which Mm -hmm. as a Canadian, I found really jarring because Mm -hmm. it's not really a big thing in Canada, at least where I grew up. And it's always this like little digging, these little niggles. Yeah, and yes. it's it's meant, and I, they had explained it to me. Like it means that we like you. I'm like, mm, doesn't feel like <laughs> you <they> like me. <laughs> no,
0: definitely.
1: But they're like, it's teasing, but it's little jags, it's little jabs, and subconsciously, people it layers in people's subconscious. Mm-hmm. You know. Um,
0: yeah, that's true.
1: And the intention may not be to outrightly deride someone or denigrate yes. them. Correct, And that could be potentially the effect, you know, it's yes. it's things like, you know, calling someone, you know, you play like a girl and it's meant to be ha ha ha, Right. Yes. you know, it's meant to cajole someone to provoke them, but right. can be wounding, um, especially if you're a girl listening to that, or oh, if definitely. you're a guy, you know, defending your manhood, like these right. things have an impact. Um, yes. And it, it bothers me, I flinch if I hear people teasing each other like that.
0: Oh, definitely. Uh,
1: yeah I'm, I love your I love your hauling hauling your grandson to a higher standard
0: oh. and because no one will ever call you out for being a good human exactly exactly you know and and that's part of my I mean I, I like comedy I, but it has to be a specific type of comedy and one of the things that you know I talk about because you know in California we have all these comedy comedy clubs and activities that you can go listen to some of the most famous comedians that are you know airing right now and I'm very particular about the ones that I go to because some of it is so insulting to the individuals that's in the audience even if it's not me it's someone else and I don't think that they take into account that those words that they're saying and how it's going to impact that person they may laugh it off sitting there in the presence of everybody else but when they leave there they don't realize the effect that it's going to have on an individual. So I'm very particular mm. about what I listen to on a day-to-day basis. Now, Zoe, I'm going to ask you one yeah. final, I'm going to ask you a question, or I should I say, I'm going to let you leave our audience with any information or anything that you feel, you know, that's on your heart right now that you want to say. Because I'm not sure, how often do you get a chance to, uh, tap into the U S
1: do I get just tap into the U.S.? i S I've been on a number of podcasts in the U S so with the launch and success of my latest book more so than other times, I've got my own podcast as well. I do. Mm -hmm. I know I do have U S listeners, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. You're setting the scene. Now I'm going to broadcast (laughs) it to the U S my goodness.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because I believe in global communication, and us being able to share our gifts with one another is exceedingly joyful to, to the audiences and, and it's enlightening to us. And the more that we can do that, it just brings a, a sense of community to some places that we, we wouldn't have a chance to engage and to con- you know, come in contact with. So that's why I'm so happy that you, you know you accepted my invitation, you came on. And, and, and I'm just thrilled at the information that you shared with, with the audience. And I want you to please give our audience that, that are gonna be present, that's gonna hear this information. Tell us you know how they can reach you, tell us uh, how to get you a new book, anything you wanna share that will lead them back to you, please feel free.
1: Oh, thank you for the invitation. Well, let me give my message of love and light first <laughs> before okay. I say, come, come buy my book. <laughs> 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 Um, My sister lives in the US. She married a New Yorker from Manhattan and they live in New Jersey now. And I have cousins and an aunt and uncle who live in California. So uh, we have American family. So I consider America family. And for the last several years, my heart has been with America and Americans and navigating the turmoil that you are all experiencing in so many different areas. Um, And if I could write a love letter to America, it would be this, is that we're all in this together and that we are all humans worthy of understanding and appreciation and love, no matter what side of the political or economic or racial fence that we sit on, underneath it, we are all beating hearts and, our responsibilities as humans is to stop deriding each other, is to stop insulting each other, to stop alienating one another and seeing each other as the enemy. If we could just pause a little bit and be curious about where the other person Mm. is coming from, what their journey has been, no matter how strange and different it might be to our own, that Mm -hmm. each of us has a own universe that they we are living in. And the Mm -hmm. more we try and understand each other universes, the easier it is to be able to reach out with compassion and wisdom and Mm -hmm. to solve the problems that we all face together, whether Mm -hmm. it's COVID, whether it's the economy, whether it's racial tension, whether it's economic injustice, all these challenges. And there are a lot, there are a lot in America and there's lots in Australia and Canada as well. That would be my message. Show Mm -hmm. up, be curious see the others as a human first not some Mm. label you would put on them yeah so that was my soliloquy and love letter (laughs) to america
0: beautiful love letter (laughs) beautiful
1: um if you if you want to check me out and find out more about me the probably the best place to go is my website as a starting point ZoeRouth.com. that's z-o-e-r-o-u-t-h.com so it's routh like mouth with an r (laughs) Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I occasionally post on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, Yeah, those are the main places to see me. Or if you want to send me an email, zoe at innercompass.com.au.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, all right. Zoe, I must say, this is the first time, but it will not be the last. And I want to thank you once again. God bless you and your family. I look forward to seeing, if you come to California, you better look me up, Zoe. <laughs> yes. Well, sounds good. Yes, yes. All right. Well, you have a great night. And thank you so much for tuning in again. And uh, we'll get a chance to meet again. Thank
1: you so much, George. It's been a pleasure and a privilege.
0: Thank you. And let me put-